0: hello everyone and welcome to another episode of trash future as you can probably tell because you're hearing my voice and not riley's voice like
1: riley you sound very different
0: (laughs) you know people have told me in the past that they can't tell me and riley apart And I'm like, does this, I mean, I don't expect people to be able to tell the difference between an American and a Canadian accent. You have such a different affect, is the thing. I know, I know. And people, they've told me that before. They're like, oh, I can't, I can't keep the North American guys apart. And it's like, surely, surely, surely you can, you can just listen a little more closely there. One uh, of them
1: is a sort of like, um, Gourmand, and one of them sounds like very (laughs) depressed all the time.
0: (laughs) Hey, hey, uh. So, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> Set me off on, on a really, really. Sorry, good I, didn't, I, I, your house. I didn't mean
1: to completely like destroy your self esteem. Like a minute <laughs> into the recording. <laughs>
0: um, so we're getting to do an episode about something we really enjoy, and uh, this this week uh, we are speaking to my friend Jane Peck about her no- new novel, her first novel, The Verifiers. Uh, Jane and I went to graduate school together, and I read initial drafts of this book almost well more than seven years ago. And now it's gotten published, and super excited for that. So we brought on Jane to talk about uh, about her novel, uh, both because it ha- it me- it it meets our tech angle requirements, but also because we decided to do something that's nice mm. that we enjoy, as opposed to uh, nice future. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. A nice future can possibly exist, you know, for at least those interstitial weeks between Christmas and New Year's. So Jane, how are you doing? Welcome to the show. I'm
2: great. Thanks so much. Thanks for for having me on. I'm I'm excited to talk about it. And My um,
0: pleasure.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. And it's interesting too because you know I feel like Nate, you read such a different version of this years and years ago, and you know I guess Alice, you're coming to this fresh, having just read mm-hmm. this version. So um, a lot yeah. of things changed. I think between version one and version. One thousand and
1: one. <laughs> well, I was reading this and I was thinking: not only is this very, very current, very topical, but it's also it's such a trash future book. It's so perfect for us. It's like laser targeted.
0: Yeah, I was thinking the same thing because I remember I remember reading the original uh, drafts, and one of the things that was that that, that struck me was uh, you set the initial novel or the initial draft a little bit further in the future, or what felt like further in the future, in twenty fourteen and what's strange to me is that you know it's it, it to me it reads a lot more contemporary now as though it's it's it you know the the dates are marked 20xx but it could be now or it could be a few years in the future but it feels as though some of the things that seemed hypothetical or maybe a, you know a little bit fantastic in the early drafts now just seem like oh yeah that's 100% plausible
1: yeah. and, and and like the way in which uh, you do like tech guys and like corporate guys. <laughs> There's a scene in the end where like a couple of characters mention offhand about Softbank like investing some ridiculous oh, amount man. in like a very silly star stuff. And at this point I'm like pointing at the screen like Leo DiCaprio. I'm like that yes, that's us. <laughs> that's us. That's-
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so we 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 have explored, we have really done some some niche discovery with regard to all of the different terrible Softbank uh What's what, what? What's the fund called, Alice? Oh, it's uh, the Vision, oh, it's fund. Vision Fund. The yeah. Vision Fund, yeah. Uh, in in you know companies like OIL OYO, the company that destroys hotels, <laughs> um, just just various amazing stories, and and so that all rung true to me. And I and I think you know I'm gonna I'm gonna let you introduce <laughs> talk about the the overall summary of the plot here in a second. But that was something, Alice. I'm glad you pointed that out because there was a point I was like, these guys. As I was reading, I'm like, these could be tech guys in 2011 sort of riding the wave of like apps will solve all social mm. problems. They could be tech guys now. They could be tech guys in 2041. Like that, that mentality will always be there, it seems, regardless of you know, the tidal wave of contrary evidence. Uh, but, but Jane, when I, when I do sort of an elevator pitch to friends about this book and when I was doing, people asked me when I was a you know, first year MFA student, what kind of things are people in your program working on? I would, I would describe your, your work and I would just say, well, a friend of mine is writing a novel about someone whose job it is to basically be a private investigator to determine whether or not people are telling the truth on their dating profiles. And the reaction I would, I would get would be like, oh man, that's wow, that sounds like something that could exist. Sometimes people would say, uh God! I wish that did exist, and I was like, "Oh, I don't know about that." Uh, so I, I wanted to—that's that, my—that's my, you know, quick quick pitch. But I'm wondering if you'd like for our listeners to sort of, uh, well, explain your 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 view on the overall summary and also how you came to this idea.
2: Sure. Um, so I guess, and you know, Nate, Nate, I think that that's a that's a great summary of of the novel, and you know, I'm glad people reacted positively. Um, I guess I would say this is a book about online dating and compatibility algorithms and what it means to know someone in our kind of contemporary age when so much of ourselves is filtered through profiles and personas and virtual interactions um i'd say it's also a novel about family um because my my main character is a second generation chinese american immigrant and it's about interacting with kind of the expectations of parents and the dynamics with siblings and kind of figuring out how you know like how how to like live and thrive with them and you know kind of presenting who, who you are to the people who you're closest to in addition to this idea of putting yourself out there in the world um given like all all the the apps and and the virtual ways that we have of Getting to know each other and presenting ourselves and having different personas. Um, and then it's also about Jane Austen and it's also about cycling in New York. It's
1: probably and how detective I would describe novels. It. I, I love the novel. I love the detective novel references.
2: Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. And, and so the, I guess there's a kind of fictional, um, a, a detective series that is set in imperial China. And, um, I kind of made that, that up partly because as a way to kind of poke fun at the classic detective novels, because it's kind of easy to do that, um, because they can be so over the top. Like, oh, you know, there's a, a stain on the floor by the window and from that we can deduce that the that detec- that the murderer is six foot four and, you know, recently went through a divorce.
1: Yeah, I, I I love I I love the sort of references to these these novels, the Inspector Yuan novels. But you mentioned uh, you mentioned McRae too, uh, and a couple of others whose whose names escape me. And it's just it's so telling. And one of the things that I love is uh, it, your your protagonist Claudia. She like um, she the lessons that she learns from these detective novels are so
0: often wrong. <laughs> 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 I, uh, I I there there is there is particularly. Uh, I enjoyed the way that it kind of plays with expectations in, for example, there is a scene in which uh, Claudia confronts Iris um, without giving away too much of the plot. And she basically, it seems as though the logic of detective novels, of Inspector Yuan novels is completely confirmed because in the minute that she is setting up to, to record what she thinks she can coax a confession from Iris... Uh, Iris just basically kind of launches into a a soliloquy in which she sounds at at first glance as though she's just overtly confessing. And then that's not at all what she's doing. And it turns out that the, the theory that Claudia had was completely wrong. But I really enjoyed that because I felt like okay, the cliche version of this would be, all right, the theory is correct. And she has to confront it and, and, and get it out of her by subterfuge or something along those lines. But instead, it just, it completely inverts your expectations. And then you realize that, no, actually that hunch was completely incorrect. And so in a way, every time as I was reading this, I was sort of like, ah, I think I know what's going to happen here. It turned out to be wrong. <laughs> and I, I, I appreciated that. And I also appreciated the, um, the way in which uh, it kind of inspector you won, and the lessons from that allow claudia to kind of if not poke fun at herself then sort of like you know have this almost self-deprecating comic view of things and talking about how her expectations don't line up with uh yeah, it's,
1: with it's, it's how these so so apt for a novel that's in large part about misdirection and about lying
0: and so I really, I really appreciated that. And I guess in a way, uh, what I what I liked the most about this book was that, like, you know, quite frankly, it's really funny. It's very, very funny. I laughed out loud so many times reading this. But then talking about the family portions towards the end, when uh, when Claudia's older brother describes some of the things he went through as like the eldest child when their family was suffering financially, stuff that Claudia doesn't remember because she was too young. Like, I was really touched by that, and I thought this is. Th- this it's not that it's out of place, but rather that like you realize there's room for both registers in this book, i suppose mm. um the, the the but I mean Alice maybe you, you should go over some of the stuff that made you laugh out loud because I can I can definitely give I you mean, some of mine I, too. The
1: thing is it, it it's you know it's like dissecting a butterfly. If I mention my favorite line in this, it's all I'm saying is that when you see Truman Caposi reference, that's my favorite line in the book. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Thank you. I had to, yeah, you for... know, shoehorn in Truman Capote. Oscar will <laughs> out too.
0: <laughs> I I uh I, there there was a part of me that that. Laughed I absolutely just lost it where um, I believe this was where um, Claudia's friends are trying to set, the, set her up with Rena and one of them says, well, she, she's such a lesbian, though. She, you know, after the, after one date, she just wants to stay in and cook elaborate dinners and watch nature documentaries. And I, I lost my mind laughing. I was like, but what's so
3: wrong with that?
0: <laughs> you just really appreciate lesbian culture. And I,
3: you
1: know, I love that for you. You're an
0: ally. Yeah, it's, it's the best culture. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, so, uh, so I'm wondering, like, how... As you were writing this, did you feel pressure to have it be one and not the other or to, to not be a, you know, a portrait of a family um, that's kind of going through things as well as like this very funny, you know, very like, kind of event-driven narrative?
2: Yeah, so that, that's an interesting question. Um, so I'll, I guess I'll, I'll say two things. I think one is that I think a lot of the humor comes from the voice and that by getting the world filtered through Claudia. And, um, and it's actually interesting because, and Nate, you may remember that in the earlier versions of my novel, there was no Claudia. It was a different protagonist altogether with a different family yeah, yeah. situation. And I think that was actually why I struggled for quite a while with the novel, um, was because I didn't have the right voice. And then, I think I actually got so far as to like finish a full draft and I was going to go out to submit to agents. And then I was like, wait, this is just not ready. And I pulled it back and I just kind of rewrote the entire thing. And this time from from Claudia's perspective. Um, And then once I had her as a character, like I kind of just knew who she was. And then I knew what her family would be like. And I always knew that I wanted to explore this very complicated family. Um, because I, I had this idea for like the dynamic of the relationships. And, um, and it's basically that, that Claudia herself was born and brought up in New York by her mother, but her two older siblings were actually kind of farmed out to their grandparents in Taiwan and only came to the U S when they were a little older as children. And I just felt like that set up such an interesting and compelling dynamic between the siblings and also between them and their mother and just a lot of like competition and rivalry, but also just a deep love and understanding of what they all had to go through. And that was definitely something that I knew I wanted to write about. But at the same time, I didn't want it to be, you know, kind of like a heavy, tragic type of story. So I always knew that I wanted to to keep it light and funny. And I think um, it also really helped that there was this murder mystery setup because so many readers are familiar with the structure of a murder mystery and the tropes of a murder mystery, and that kind of makes it easy to play with and for readers to appreciate that.
0: I guess to me. Those were the parts that yeah that the, the familiar parts were the, the company that that Claudia works for Veracity some of the names of the characters there I, I it's been a long time but I recalled the general themes but I you know in a way I didn't really recall the protagonist's identity as much and so you know reading it now I can't really imagine it any other way but I re- I remember you know that it was that it was in fact different and that. Um, If I remember correctly, there was. (laughs) I find this very funny and also a little bit, a little bit sad. That it's like, well, we we said it it was set further f- in the future in New York. And we realized that the one unrealistic thing about the tech in the plot in the first draft was that the second Avenue subway would be completely finished in New York. City. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's just a bridge too far. <laughs> that um, is
2: true. That kind of but- said it 50 years into the future. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> but
1: the, the, the tech, the tech questions that you deal with about like how we experience desire and, you know, uh, what we lie about and how those things might be like sort of a two way street between us and these, platforms i feel like those have like accelerated so fast that like now 2021 is sort of in the place that you wanted to put 2041 is that do you think that's the case
2: yeah it is interesting because i will say that again in earlier drafts i kind of had like nate said more of like a science fictiony type of idea of what this world would be like. I think um, in one of the versions, I also had some kind of Google Glass setup that was actually more effective than, than Google Glass. <laughs> um, but then I think as I started writing it, and especially in revising it the last couple of years, that was when I think all the Facebook, um, what the Cambridge Analytica scandal came out, all the election stuff came out. And it just became clear that, (laughs) that a lot of what I was writing about, you know, like you guys said, it's actually happening and it's kind of going on beneath the surface of the ways that we are interacting with these apps and websites and services and what we are getting out of them and what they are getting out from us. Um, and I just thought, especially with online dating, that it's a really interesting arena to look at because whereas with other services, you may not want them to have so much information about you. With online dating, in a way you do, because that's how you can get kind of the best results.
0: Mm. You know, it's, it's funny, you, 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 you summarize basically the what I was going to ask in the next question in a way, which is talking about the shift in perception of technology and its influence in our lives. Um, I feel like I I don't I'm not ascribing this to the original manuscript, but rather to say that in 2014, or particularly say pre 2012 or so in America, it felt like there was this kind of almost utopian view of how these sorts of things were going to solve the problems of our economy and society. You know, the the only thing I can can really compare it to is the kind of late 90s, early 2000s, you know, first uh, dot com boom kind of utopianism about the tech sector and it feels like as you just said in the intervening years so much has changed and while the the language the rhetoric employed in these companies sort of public relations hasn't really changed much i feel that the overall perception has become a little bit more more pessimistic and i'm and i'm wondering you know do you feel as though this book is kind of rooted in that anxiety or pessimism or skepticism if you want to use a, a less harsh word because obviously of course that's what we deal with all the time on this show but reading this like you know this the, the the book didn't seem to me like it was it was 100% you know it wasn't ideological so much as it just sort of deals with the idea of this not necessarily being an unalloyed good and I guess, I guess I wondered like you know is that is that a fair summary and do you share that perception or do you feel like like you know dealing with that perception in some way informs this book
3: yeah,
2: and I think skepticism is a good word to use. Um, I think with in terms of how this book approaches the question of technology and how we want to use it and what we want to do with it and how we want to hold the tech companies accountable. Um, because I will say that I was careful in writing this to not just kind of go out and bash all the tech companies with a very big hammer, um, because oh, I do that's think that's our job.
3: doesn't <laughs> yeah, say that's our job <laughs> in,
2: on on a regular episode. I because I I mean I do appreciate that you know our lives have become entirely mediated by you know these types of contemporary technologies, and we do gain a lot of benefits from them. I think in the book i just wanted to kind of question what the bargain is that we have actually struck with these companies and whether or not we are actually willing as a society to pay that price and also ask as an individual you know what what can we do because the the problem is that you can't just say that oh you know i'm not going to use Google and Amazon and Facebook and everything because that's how information is being provided to us. That's how we are able to get so many things. I mean, you know, even with like COVID and the pandemic for people who are immunocompromised or who couldn't leave the house for whatever reason, that like like online deliveries was, was how they were able mm. to survive. And so that there, there is kind of good and there is benefit. To the ways that our lives have become structured through technology. But the question, I guess, is, um, what, what are we giving in exchange? And, you know, is there any room for the individual to kind of make that type of decision as to how they want to live their life without being kind of regulated and shaped by this technology? And that's why also part of the book kind of talks about the idea of um, the algorithm, I guess, and how accurate it can be at predicting what we want. And it's a bit of kind of a multi-layered question because to the extent that algorithms start to give us our options, they then kind of shape what we want instead of just predicting it because they narrow... The, our field of options, and they kind of nudge us in certain ways. That's also something that's kind of more subtle that we don't think about as we kind of move through our daily lives in terms of using all this technology to help make our lives easier.
1: Hmm. Well that's something that I admired a lot in the book is that the um not not to spoil too much, but the sort of the threat that technology poses moves very quickly from something that's sort of comical and ridiculous to something that's much darker. And I I it reminds me a lot of the that shift that people had in the way we started thinking about like predictive algorithms, is going from like, you know, you buy a TV on Amazon and Amazon then says, Ah, would you like to buy another TV? Uh into you know, now it's the reason why you can't talk to that one uncle at Thanksgiving.
0: <sighs> yeah. I mean, I was thinking about it too that, you know, even if you wanted to be a, a sort of Amazon big tech refuse Nick, it's not even really possible. No. You know, even if you don't use Amazon.com to purchase things, basically any website you use, chances are extraordinarily good it's going to be hosted on Amazon Web Services. And, you know, whether or not you use Google, Like if you have a smart device of any capacity, chances are extremely good that, you know, it is reporting location information that, you know, is being used to to feed whether or not, you know, how Google determines uh both the popularity of things or like, you know, how busy traffic is, things along those lines. You the only way out of it is to use none of it at all, which isn't really realistic. I mean, and for even most then people. we
1: get we get that explicitly in the text because Claudia doesn't use any of these dating platforms and therefore is like, oh my, my data can't be harvested and is just flatly told, oh no, we just take that anyway.
0: <laughs> yeah, we just are just constantly stealing your data, figuring out where you're going. Yeah, it is. It is very funny that that Claudia gets uh sort of surprised by the fact that like the sleuthing that she is able to use with with the various platforms get just turned right around on her without her even really realizing it. And that leads me to the next question I was going to ask you, Jane, which is that. Uh, it felt like the, one of the themes of the book was, yeah, tech platforms trying to drive people's behavior. And, you know, in, in, one of the, the, uh, the fictional dating services, soulmate, you know, initially starts out with just using bot accounts to drive up its user numbers and metrics. But then that then shifts to something a little bit more sinister, or a lot more sinister to tr- basically trying to use bots to n- shape people's behavior and push them towards certain decisions. Um, and we've seen this, you, you've alluded to this previously, you know, we've talked about it on Trash Future quite a bit, everything from Netflix and Facebook using really arbitrary and sometimes completely obscured metrics to drive up their viewership numbers. You know, Netflix saying that uh, the the Mark Wahlberg vehicle, Spencer Confidential, was seen by like 85 million people because at least 85 million people, you know, watched at least a couple of seconds of that film on Netflix before skipping to something else. Yeah, Red knows
1: as being insanely popular, sure.
0: Yeah. yeah or or um or facebook kind of leading effectively changing the way that uh news stories were ranked causing news organizations and media organizations around the world to basically fire all their journalists and hire video teams and then you suddenly discover that basically no one was watching facebook videos things along those lines and then it, that there's that and then there's the much more sinister stuff when you look at things like you mentioned cambridge analytica or even just things so far as people being able to use the data that is acquired by tech platforms you know to 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 draw connections that can lead them you know into really it, it, for example like if you want to uh get people really fired up about a sort of like trumpist uh, kind of politics in America. Apparently, the way you do that is you have to find white dudes of a certain age in certain geographic locations who have liked Ford or Chevy vehicles in their Facebook profiles. And apparently, those guys, you just target an ad to them, and they will absolutely respond to it. And you know, things along those lines where it starts being used for malign purposes or, or uh, you know, th- threatening, kind of intimidating purposes. But then also, like like Alice mentioned, Claudia is someone who kind of exists outside of that in a way, and is not quite immune to being nudged but but kind of looks on all of this as an outsider. And I guess I'm asking do you as an author, do you as a, as a person existing in this society, do you think that it's possible for us to avoid being nudged or being shaped by the algorithms or at a certain point like is every one of us going to, you know, feel as though we've we've happened upon a decision through our own uh, autonomy and free will, if you will, and then actually it's no it's just been we've we've just had it suggested to us
2: yeah i mean i guess i guess what in a way one could argue that you know we we are always being shaped by kind of factors around us, um even before the i guess this contemporary tech age, in terms of what information sources we are exposed to and which we receive and um, how truthful we we believe them to be. Um, I guess I would say that, that in this current day and age, I mean, I kind of don't think it's possible. Like to the extent that you are kind of plugged into the internet and you know what's going on. And I think it's just because there is so much information out there that basically it has to be filtered. Like, you know, by the time it reaches you, it has already been pre-selected by the organizations that you as an individual have decided you trust and so will listen to or read so like for instance i don't know for me it's probably like npr bbc new york times and then for someone else it's you know other information sources but i'm sure that npr bbc and new york times all have their own kind of Slant and perspective on things.
0: <laughs> British <laughs> listeners of the show will agree with you.
2: So, you know, so, so then what I, I take, I take in all this and I'm like, oh, this is news. This is what is happening in the world. And this is going to affect, you know, how I move through the world. Um, but then that, that's already, you know, kind of being, being nudged and shaped and, you know, like not even malignly, but just by virtue of the fact that. Because there is so much information that is available, it all needs to be filtered to us in order for us to make any sense of it.
1: Mm. I'm very curious about Claudia as an outsider. Is the other thing that I that I kind of wanted to to ask about because she's not she's a detective, but she's not a cop. She's not like a, a private investigator in any sort of licensed way. Um, and we see her later on uh, interact with uh, another character who is like very much on the inside of this sort of corporate world, who is also. Uh, sort of like distant from it in that sense, and in, in some ways more trapped by it. And I'm curious about that as like a sort of like where you would situate Claudia in this sort of like spectrum of detectives, where on the one end you might have sort of like, uh, you know, uh, a McGray or someone else, this sort of hard bitten detective, through to like an Easy Rollings who is like in that sort of marginalized community and sort of not by choice is an outsider.
2: Hmm. So so I would actually um, say that I I think of I think of Claudia as kind of that kind of classic, you know, amateur sleuth. Mm. Um, who and I and the thing is in writing this book, I wanted to avoid kind of having anything to do with the police. You know, like I, I did not want it to <laughs> be critical <laughs> sport. I didn't want it to become like a police procedure. I did hmm. not want the NYPD to get involved and, you know, get bogged down and all of those Who things.
1: Who
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that is also why I kind of structured the, the mysterious death at the heart of the novel the way I did, such that, you know, to the extent that it's viewed as a suicide and the police decides that it is, then it's kind of closed from their perspective um and and then the novel kind of conveniently ends when that investigation reopens but that is kind of like you know a few steps away from claudia so Mm. i kind of see her as that you know kind of like um like the golden age of mystery you know in the golden age of british mystery amateur sleuth the person who kind of pokes around and you know is able to like to, like, yeah, put two and two together. An enthusiast,
1: maybe. Yeah. Like, that that's the thing that, I, that strikes me about Claudia, is that, like, she's asking these questions partly because she feels like a sense of personal responsibility, but also partly because that's just, like, in her character. She can't help herself but to ask the question.
2: Yes, exactly. Like, she's just a really curious person, and where there is a mystery, and especially when it kind of, you know, like, sets off all these, like, like amateur sleuth like alarm bells in her in her head like that's just what she wants to do. she wants to like figure things out and be the one to solve it and know the truth
0: sort of uh sort of a contemporary brother cad file, but a very very different uh different background mm. that's uh, uh that, it's it's weird i i I was never a huge fan of mystery novels, but the ones that I have read and enjoyed I've really enjoyed, and I'm always taken aback when they're done well as to prevent you from figuring it out too quickly. (laughs) And I appreciated the fact that we did read detective fiction at the Brooklyn College MFA program that like, it wasn't just, you know, uh, Iowa Iowa writers workshop stuff that although that was pretty heavily represented, we did actually read Raymond Chandler and things along those lines, because there is an absolute art form to it. And something that I appreciated about this was... (sighs) It would be very easy to have the perspective of the author sort of mediated through the narrator to the point where, you know, things are one note or they're immediately, you know, on their face obvious. And I did not feel like that was the case. I felt like there was a lot of subtlety and sort of questioning of the certainties or like the point being made, even. Uh, For example, uh, and and let me just say that uh, before I, I talk about this particular detail about the relationship between Claudia's older sister Coraline, and uh, her at one point boyfriend Lionel, I, I I do appreciate the subtle digs at New York writing culture. <laughs> those those mainly those those really really warmed my heart. I was like yes yes get them. Uh, but uh, one of the things that I thought was very interesting about that 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 plot device or that subplot was that. You know, Coraline and Lionel connected and actually had a relationship that, for a while, seemed as though it was working. But they met by accident. She thought he was someone she she thought she was going on a date with someone with a different dating profile. And when they met, like they well, they had some chemistry at first. And but then the relationship doesn't work out, and so that kind of forces me to ask the question. Similarly, uh, I don't know because I don't. (laughs) Maybe I'm not as good of a reader as I would like to be. But I did kind of get the impression at the end of the story that. Claudia and Claudia might try to make a go and see if things with Bex work out with her. Like, is that the possibility of a mm. relationship? And I don't know if that was the intent there, but that was sort of my impression. And the thought crossed my mind: Well, well those two seem incredibly ill matched, but who knows? And the the thought crossed my mind that, like, on one hand, the 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 relationship uh, with Corlin and Lionel would suggest that ultimately the al- algorithms are right. Like, they weren't compatible, and even if they thought they might be compatible, they weren't. But then. That reading, perhaps, I don't know if I'm correct in it, of potentially there being something between Claudia and Bex would seem to imply that, well, maybe that doesn't really matter. And, and so I guess the question I have to you is, um, just, does it, do you think that, that ultimately the algorithms are correct? That like they know us better than we know ourselves and that this sort of thing does sort of determine success or yeah. failure? And, and
1: if we are wrong, if they do, is it, worth, <laughs> is it like a fight worth losing?
3: Mm.
2: Yeah, I know. And that, that is actually kind of a a question that I personally do find very interesting, which is what would it mean for, you know, romantic love if it could be predicted by an algorithm? Like it, it, it almost feels like part of, part of why, like part of why love is so meaningful is because it's hard. It's like you have to go out there and you know, like find people and get to know them and figure out who they are and who you are in relation to them. And sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. But even when it doesn't work out, you know, you you learn something and hopefully you had something special and meaningful. And then you like continue this process. And also, hopefully you eventually find someone who you feel like you want to spend the rest of your life with. And so in a way, if it was that easy, like you, you just kind of put in your data and then the computer spits out like this is your 100% match. It almost feels like we would lose something there. But at the same time, I did want to raise that possibility that, you know, maybe these algorithms do have some idea of what they're talking about. And if that is the case, then what role should they have in our romantic lives? Um, and I will say that, I mean, you know, like, and I feel like just being being someone who was brought up on genre and who loves genre, I always think of books in threes because I love trilogies. And so, you know, like, if I do end up writing a sequel, there are further ideas that I do want to explore with respect to that question of, you know, what, what role these algorithms should play in terms of how we find love. Even if, or maybe especially if, it turns out that they are accurate, mm.
0: it's it's very funny to me because I think about when you talk about percentage matches, that brings to mind OKCupid, which I think may have fallen off a bit, but was at one point quite quite popular. And I I uh, was on and used, um, you know, about a decade ago. And it's funny to me because I met someone on OKCupid and we had a relationship for two years. And I think the circumstances of our various careers made it. Impossible for it to work forever, but we were actually quite well matched, and I was sort of like, "Wow, I guess OkCupid really knows its stuff." But then, out of curiosity, at one point, this is before she and I started dating, I uh, entered in to see as I was planning on moving back to New York when I was, you know, in the army and stationed in Korea, and I put in information to uh, to 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 look down and see like, "Hmm, I wonder what dating prospects will be like when I move to New York." And I matched at 87% with someone that I'd had a relationship with in the past. And like, she was on OKCupid. I wasn't aware of this. And like, it did not work out. And we were not very well matched together. But it said 87%. And I was like, yeah, because we like the same things. We have a lot of, you know, cultural interests in common. But like, we, we we basically can't be in the same room without being at each other's throats. It's It's just not, it doesn't work. But to the algorithm, it's like, oh, well, you guys like the same bands. You have similar backgrounds. Like, surely you guys are perfectly matched. And then I think about my wife, Cynthia, like based on her interests, I imagine we probably would have, would have matched in like the, the, the single digits on OkCupid. Okay but something, something about our sort of ability to, to get along with one another and talk to one another and, and always be entertained, you know, hearing the other one speak, it, 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 it overcame all of that. Hmm. So in a way, like, like yeah, my,
1: that's, a, that's a question, isn't it? Is it good for you to have a relationship where you're not
0: matching in some ways? Like, Cynthia and I don't like a lot of the same... We really don't like the same music. We don't necessarily like the same books. Uh, we like a lot of the same movies, but there's pretty huge variance there. But, like, I did find it very funny that it sort of implied... It's like, you know, according to the matching, it's like, well... uh <laughs> all these things are enough so you guys can talk about the same things while you hate each other or
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it you has can... this like
0: flattening like homogenizing effect right like yeah. you, you could
1: end up sort of watching the set like you watch four movies until you're old enough to start dating you plug those four movies in and then somebody else who <laughs> watched the same four movies is just your your soulmate right you're never challenged to like experience anything else
0: it's the same thing where I've liked enough pictures of certain room design aesthetics on Instagram that now it just knows. It's like you like uh you you like skirting boards and crown molding <laughs> and herringbone floors and like Persian rugs on things. So it's just we're now going to send you nothing but that in hundreds of different accounts from the same aesthetic. It's sort of like that but for romantic partners and <laughs> that's kind of frightening. So in a way like this book I mean, it was fun. It was entertaining. It was—I I laughed out loud so many times. I mean, I—I—I I, I read it sort of in bounds because once I started reading, I didn't want to put it down. But it also kind of addressed that question, and—and and I guess I'm wondering. You know, when you look at this stuff, I, I can only imagine that over the course of writing it, you know, both in school and then subsequently having a you know, pitching it, editing it, that people have probably spoken to you about their experiences with with online dating because I mean, it's as you say in the book and it's true, it is very, very popular for people to meet you know partners. So like I'm just wondering as you kind of moved through that world of getting this together and into you know to publication, Like, have you revised or have you reconsidered your thoughts on sort of what the overall impact of this is?
3: Yeah, so I think
2: I think you know, like like you, um, my my online dating experience was was with OkCupid like several years ago. Um, But I mean, I and the thing is, my my personal online dating story is actually a happy one in that I did luck out and you know I met I met like my life partner on OkCupid and. She was the first person I met on OKCupid, and um, I was the oh. first person she met on OKCupid. <laughs> so, you know, you could say that, that we got really lucky, or we were lazy and we had low expectations.
1: Or the algorithms did a perfect
2: job. Exactly. <laughs> I should be like a spokesperson for <laughs> OKCupid. Um, but I, and I think, um, and I did do some research into kind of online dating. Apps and services, and how they have evolved over the last, um, I guess, decade, decade and a half. And it is interesting that I think originally when we started out with like eHarmony and Match and OKCupid, it was very like give us a lot of data about yourselves. Like, what do you like? What are your political, religious affiliations? Are you like a person who prefers to go out or stay in? What's your favorite travel destinations? And I feel like those did kind of gear towards more like Nate, what you were talking about in terms of interests and pairing up people who had similar tastes. And I think I touch on that in the book as well, in terms of um kind of how, you know, how people's tastes and preferences can be aligned or can be can be shaped. But then, you know, after that came along like Grinder and Tinder and the whole like swipe culture. And then it was almost like kind of a like a hundred and eighty shift, where it moved from like kind of formulating full profiles and telling us a lot about who you are and what you're looking for and what you want to like pictures and three words or like your favorite pizza or like you know like what's a quote that summarizes you, and yeah, then it no, just...
1: nobody's reading the essays on my grinder profile.
2: Exactly, exactly. They're <laughs> just looking at all your amazing pictures. So, <laughs> Um, and, and so I feel like there it kind of shifted to, and I think Vanity Fair actually had an article where the title was Tinder's the world's biggest, scariest bar. And so it kind of became more like that. Like it it became a way to hook up with people, but giving you access to far more people than you would if you just walked into a bar on a Friday night. And I think now we're starting to see a bit of a shift back from that. Um, as people are like, well, I would like to get to know these people more than, you know, just looking at their possibly filtered pictures or just seeing, you know, three random words that they threw up there. And so there there's now like apps that kind of try to get a bit more information, try to put a bit more effort into matching people. But the algorithms themselves have also changed, I think, because they used to go by things like interest and getting as much data about you as a person. And then over time, they have actually shifted to this idea of they look at people you like, and from there, they kind of try to match you with the next person. And similarly, they look at the people you like, and they see whether or not the people that you like, like you back. And so they basically try to match you like with someone who they feel would like you back as well that you would like based on your previous.
1: That's a rough measurement. That's a cruel <laughs> measurement. They like I was it gonna is, say is loser, zero or one. <laughs> <laughs> no,
2: and I and I think, yeah, and they do actually say I think it is actually based on I I believe it there's a there's actually kind of a mathematical type formula called the marriage problem or something like that. And the idea is basically that you should not be trying to bet way out of your league. So, you know.
0: Yeah. It's basically, I love it when my dating app practices expectation exactly. management. Exactly.
2: <laughs> so, end up with number five on your ranking list or something like that. <laughs> um, but then the thing is, the, the online dating world in my novel is a bit different because I was actually interested in exploring what happened if we did go down that path where it was very data-driven and. The apps were focused on collecting data about you and they wanted to predict who you would like based on who you were, and not simply based on your prior kind of successes and failures in terms of like, like whether or not the like who you like and whether or not those people like you back, which is more of a I guess not personalized measurement. It's just based on on reactions. And so that was what I wanted to go into in my novel, which is what if they are able to use these algorithms to find us the perfect people and not just, you know, the people who are willing to date us kind of thing. Mm
0: -hmm. Looking back on what you're describing, it is a perceptible shift, isn't it? That it kind of went from matchmaking to speed dating. Mm. And that I I see what you mean in the sense that, you know, it, it just... Okay, Cupid and things along those lines were really like, let's get a personality survey and let's have, you know, sort of. I, I've heard of these stories that back in the olden days, you know, especially for people who were executives or people in business, there were services that were just sort of like this, you know, say in the 80s and 90s where you would fill out a, like a survey and mail it to them and then they'd, you know, match you up with someone eligible or something like that. And that was the model that some of this was built on. And then, like you said, now, well, it if it, it far more is just sort of like data point, data point, data point, just sort of feeding, you know, react to this left, right, you know, do you like this, do you not like this? Um, I mean, I, I can even recall OKCupid kind of turning into that when it started having kind of like uh you know sort of roulette wheel of profiles gamification really and 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 the and the grim notice that i would get periodically when i was stationed in south korea like you have reviewed all profiles in your search criteria it's like wait a little while you lonely idiot (laughs) (laughs) Just opening my loot boxes (laughs) yeah so man that it it is such a it is such a wild thing to, to to consider how much that We'll talk about online dating, but the, what that means has changed over the course of of our adult lifetimes, you know, as the stuff's become more ubiquitous. Um, but you know, there is also some questions, Alice, I know you wanted to ask some questions specifically and talk about um, yeah. some of the other aspects of this book specifically as as ever, on any podcast I'm on, I want to talk about being a
1: lesbian, right? <laughs> um <laughs> Because that that's one of the things that like appeals to me most about Claudia as a character is she, she reminds me very much of uh, like a throwaway joke I did on Twitter about how I wanted to read like a a sort of a Sam Spade style character but like an extremely stupid lesbian who just like <laughs> sees like a flash of like femme fatale leg and then immediately gets coshed over the back of the head uh, and like I, I'm doing I'm doing Claudia a disservice there but she you know that that is part of this novel too. And I'm 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 like I'm curious where the character of Bex came from in particular and like what that sort of like I I just I just want to like fangirl for a bit. I want to talk about Bex because I love her.
2: Oh, that's great. Um she can be prickly. But, um <laughs> so so I will say Bex had actually always been in the novel throughout. I think Kamla yeah. and Bex were the two characters who mm-hmm. who I always had a very clear like idea of like visually and just their personalities and how they interacted and how Mm. they interacted with the world and that was always clear um i will say that again in in earlier versions of the novel that isn't really that um you know like kind of developing will they won't they kind of idea yeah that in this novel but i did want Claudia to acknowledge that she thought that her boss was hot um,
3: because <laughs> yeah, I feel like yeah. that
2: is how you are like in, in real life, right? You're like, oh my gosh, my boss is really hot but she's also like, you know,
3: yeah, like the boss from yeah.
2: Exactly. And I think as I was kind of, you know, moving along, like I felt like that was kind of how people were reacting. They were like, oh my God, I really want them to hook up. And I think part of it was that, is that they are so different. Mm. Um, but I think I think it's it's also it also actually plays with a classic rom com trope, which is that idea of, you know, these two characters and you think they can't stand each other and then, you know, like
1: yeah, as you as you but Bex you is now. a lot like Mr. Darcy in that respect.
2: Oh my gosh. And you are actually the second person to have said that. <laughs> to have like <laughs> kind of called out the the certain pride and prejudice dynamic in the sense that mm. you see Bex through Claudia's perspective. And so Claudia interprets the way that Bex behaves in a certain way. Um, whether or not that that is in fact, you know, like how Bex is thinking, you know, is at least closed off to us as the reader, given that this is all from Claudia's yeah, you perspective. Can
1: sort of, you can just sort of see her in the corner of some Regency ballroom wearing like a cravat being, you know, seeming about eight feet tall. Uh, <laughs> and it just it just fits it's, it fits very well.
2: Yeah, but um, but I will say that kind of that whole dynamic between them was also really fun to write, and um, and again, if there is a sequel, I am also looking forward to, to exploring.
1: And I mean, that's that's another thing that I got from this is that it it like you could tell that you were having fun writing it when I when you were reading it.
2: Yeah, there, I mean, it, it was there. There were parts that you know made me want to hit my head against the wall, um, <laughs> especially in terms of figuring out the plot, like just. Like, just kind of like, because I felt like what what anchors every murder mystery is the fact that the murder is something that is both clever and also logical. Mm. Like, I really, I mean, not really, like, I appreciate the mysteries that are technically correct, but that are just so implausible that you would be like there is no way that someone would actually set up this way of killing someone
1: yeah they they, they like uh shuffle the like poison praying mantis down the wire into the bedroom kind of exactly,
2: thing exactly yeah. exactly yeah i think i i read one where like someone had to trip the wire for like a zither which would then set off an <laughs> arrow that would like pierce <laughs> through the screen and hit this person <laughs> you know and i was like it all makes sense like technically but you know, it, it's and so I wanted something that hopefully is able to encompass both, which is that it is actually a way that you could, you know, with some uh, suspension of of belief, imagine someone killing someone, but at the same time, it is clever enough, and it is something that you kind of need to put together clues in order to resolve it, mm. and that that actually, um, you know, turned out turned out to be. I, I want to say, it to turn out to be like one of the hardest parts of the novel. But um, the parts that I really enjoyed were just um, the dynamics between the characters. Um, I really liked writing the family scenes and the ways that kind of they're all interacting and squabbling and mm. getting annoyed with each other. And I also really enjoyed writing the scenes among like Comla and Bex and Claudia and then Squirrel when he comes in
1: you're mentioning Claudia's family sort of leads me to my next lesbian question, which is, it's, it's not too much of a spoiler, I hope, to say that uh, towards the end of the novel, Claudia comes out as a lesbian to her mom.
2: In a way she comes out and, in in a way
1: that's the thing yeah. that interests me right yeah. is that like it's it's a very sort of particular conversation and i'm curious whether it was like whether that flowed naturally or whether it was difficult to resist a more kind of like if you like westernized coming out
2: mm. yeah and so the thing is i actually i think again in in earlier versions of the novel i think she never even went there Mm. Um and I think kind of I decided to write that scene because it did feel like you want like one wanted a bit more of a conclusion to that aspect of um of the story. Um it actually felt quite natural to me because it felt like the way that that I guess you know someone in an in an Asian family would kind of talk about that topic which is to say to talk around it. Mm. And especially because Claudia isn't close to her mother. And so I didn't really see them having a big, like, I'm gay. And, you know, the mother being <laughs> like, that's okay.
1: You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's very unspoken. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And so I wanted to write something where both characters get what the other is saying without it actually being said. mm.
0: I really appreciated that because it felt like in Claudia's case there were two big secrets that were sort of impeding closeness with her her family and one was that she had quit the job that her brother had set her up with in order to work at Veracity but she didn't want to tell him because you know for one he had you know done her a personal favor and for another like he it seemed as though there was this 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 constant back and forth between the two of them that he felt that she was capable of more than what he perceived she was doing. And then also the fact that her mom didn't know that she was gay. And so what I appreciated about it was that it did feel as though there was, you know, this 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 distinction between the way that she would reveal a secret to her brother who, you know, grew up at least in similar circumstances to her versus her mom who isn't necessarily going to understand it in the same way. And I liked the fact that at the end she was sort of unburdened. Like, I appreciated that. And it felt like her, as I, uh, the, the, the will, they won't, they stuff with Bex, like Bex sends her a text and, and it says, if you, if you, if you fuck this up, basically I'm going to kill you, but she, she auto corrects to, I'm going to kiss you. And she then basically, it, it sounds my, my read it, She basically was like feeling unburdened from having kind of gotten, Uh, through some of this stuff in her life she just basically says well i've responded the way i was i wanted to respond and we'll see what happens from there last question mark uh winky face (laughs) 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 and and i appreciated that because i i felt as though we've i think we talked about this in in school but like that that showing growth showing development in a character is really challenging and it felt like all of the experiences that Claudia has over the book of putting herself in dangerous or uncomfortable situations, like, you know, her having to get dressed up for a, a, a gala in a way that she would never do on her own, you know, having her sort of drawing on her sister's talents to, 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 to get, to get, um, you know, to seem natural in that world, or you know, breaking into an apartment and almost getting caught, jumping off a fire escape, confronting a a finance dude in Central Park, and him basically losing his mind at her, like stuff along those those lines. Like over the course of this, she's gone from being, I'm not gonna say passive, but sort of more like willing to just sort of absorb these frustrations to to being more assertive and. And I felt like there was an extent to which, to use another uh, MFA term, it kind of felt earned in a way because we've witnessed that development. We've seen that happen. And I imagine, I, I, don't, I, 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 I want your, your feedback on this, but I feel like considering you've worked on this for forever and it's gone through a lot of rewrites and like you said, the, 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 the protagonist character completely changed. I hope that like you felt like you had, you know, you had accomplished it. By the end, because quite frankly, reading this, like I, I was along for the ride and I really, I don't know, just really I, at the end, like I felt like satisfaction at seeing her kind of make that progress, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah. And, you know, that that's great that 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 was kind of how you felt reading, reading the book. Um, I mean, I definitely agree with you that it is tricky to have what feels like an organic and realistic development of a character because I feel like so much of that is actually quite subtle. And if it's not subtle, then it just feels, you know, just very un- unrealistic. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I-, I will say that that I think as as kind of Claudia progresses through the novel, I do feel like she does grow in certain ways. I think she does mature. And I think she does also become more cognizant of, you know, actually who the people in her family are in the sense that i think she starts out the novel with certain notions of um who charles is and who caroline is and i think especially caroline in terms of her views of of her sister and and that was actually why i wanted to write in the scene where Cla- caroline kind of enables veracity to get into that gala and then like Enables Claudia to pass as someone who belongs in that world, um, and that is actually because of like just her skill and her knowledge in that that sphere that Claudia has probably never really valued or thought much about before.
1: Mm. There's, a, there's a beautiful sort of like femme moment at the end where uh, uh, Claudia is like uh, seeing herself made up to like pass into this gala, just tells her sister, "You're awesome," and she just goes, "Yeah, I know."
2: Caroline definitely knows how awesome she is
0: (laughs) yeah I you know coming up on on about an hour of us recording I feel like there's one burning question that I want to ask and I think Alice you mentioned to me you also wanted to ask this which is that Mm. uh, so much of this book has been informed by both exemplars of and tropes of detective fiction both in terms of trying to to do it well and also sort of poke fun at examples of it being done badly. So I've gotta ask, what what detective fiction books do you like?
2: Ah <laughs> that's a great question. I, I I love answering that. Um so I'll say that, you know, I grew up as a kid. I was reading the classics like Sherlock Holmes, Hercule Poirot, um and then as I grew a bit older I did read May Gray. Um and most recently, I've actually gotten into Josephine Tay. um I will say that I'm probably more of a i like the the more classic um especially british type mysteries. I'm not so into the private eye type of mystery, although I appreciate kind of the very stylistically you know evocative and um they have that certain voice that that is that is enjoyable to read um but i will say probably at the end of the day my heart might be with Hercule Poirot.
0: yeah it's funny when you mentioned that because i was thinking when you were talking about uh some of of the the complexity and the difficulty of the 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 murder being both like novel and also plausible that i i thought about like Dennis Lehane books which it's more about sort of like the grittiness and the unsettledness and just like how how venal and depraved the world is, and these sort of hard boiled cops mm. and PIs trying to solve it. Or I was thinking about like, yeah, if someone's a, a fan of uh of 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 Sherlock Holmes or Hercule Poirot, uh, you know they there are some 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 modern books even in the sort of police procedural style thing that would probably fit them, but they're probably not going to want to read you know Paul Auster's City of Glass or something like that, which is a detective novel but yeah. it's just completely insane. Yeah. Like there's so much complexity and 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 variants within that world. And so I guess uh I would say this feels like it is in the vein of that sort of classic murder mystery style novel, but also, you know, new sort of ruthlessly contemporary and and relevant to what we talk about. And can I just say I absolutely loved this book. Oh yeah, it was great. Like, I don't I don't I, I i read i if i read uh detective fiction or things along those lines it's normally just from the recommendation of friends when someone says a book's really great but like if, if if any of this conversation has interested you the listener like please there will be a link in the show notes go out and get this book like i i absolutely cannot recommend it highly absolutely. enough and- huge
1: endorsement from me as well the first uh the first read through i did that in a day
2: oh wow <laughs> <laughs>
1: I just, I literally, I was like, ah, oh, this is, this is like my entire schedule for today is so I'm going to sit down. I'm going to read this cover to cover now.
0: I mean, I have to admit also, and I was like, I, I DM'd Alice and I was like, hey, Alice, do you want to read my friend's novel? It's a, it's a, it's a detective story about a, a lesbian private yeah, flipping detective. Flipping off who, the uh, lens cap on the uh, laser <laughs> designator. As you type that. <laughs> uh, also, it involves the tech industry and online dating. It's just, just like steam pouring out of her ears. Yeah. <laughs> So genuinely, Jane, thank you so much for letting us read this and uh, and allowing us to, to, to talk about it today. And I just want to say if there's any other stuff you'd like people to be aware of, um, you know, social media profiles, things along those lines, here is your opportunity to plug those.
2: Well, you know, thank you both so much for reading the book and for having me on the show and for, you know, talking about it. Um. This has been great. This has been really fun. Um. The novel is coming out on the twenty second of February. uh, Available for pre order now. So you know, if if anyone is interested, that that would be great. But yeah, thanks. This this was really fun.
0: You're very welcome. And uh, once again, for all of our Trash Future listeners, uh, we will return. We will return with. Normal scheduling next week, I believe. Uh, Riley, Riley, and Milo are out with COVID right now, so that may be delayed by yet another week. But we will Fine. eventually get back to it. We'll just
1: do, we'll just to do Nate and Alice's book corner for a while.
0: Exactly. We're just gonna we'll, we'll find a way to, to pass the time. But uh, as always, if you want more content from us, if you want at least one bonus episode a week, you can sign up to our Patreon. There's a link for that in the show notes as well. And otherwise, we will speak to you very soon. <laughs>